0: Hail Mary, full of grace, grace. the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray Pray for for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Miked, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina. I am the host, Shane Page, the Director of Evangelization here at the parish, and I am joined once again by the affable, (laughs) Father Rossi. (laughs) Father, great to see you. You too, Shane. I always love the way you introduce podcasts. Yeah, so. I, I try to come up with a new adjective every <laughs> week. It's become the thing now. <laughs> I, I love it. It's going to it's going to it's going to link us together. But it's good to be back because I couldn't be here last week. That's right. I was terribly ill. I don't know what happened, and I couldn't shake this headache for days. And I, I've got a, a guess of what I had. But I'm always usually wrong. But, I knew fevery, nausea, my neck got a little stiff in the back. I was like, do I have viral meningitis? Mm. Anyway, I feel much, much better now. I feel great. Thanks be to God. Yeah, thanks be to God. So it's good to be back here. We've got a, a couple of important things to talk about. Especially with the events that happened last Friday on the uh, the solemnity of the Sacred Heart, we'll talk about that. But today is also a great solemnity in the Church, uh, the the solemnity of uh, Peter and Paul, the yes. apostles. Mm-hmm. A couple minutes, let I me mean, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, uh, we celebrate, you know, really the two great pillars. You know, uh, Peter being sent to build up the Church um, initially with the Jewish community, and then Paul, the Gentiles. You know, being the universal mission of the Church. Uh, both of them, uh, we believe, to be martyred in Rome uh, under uh, Nero, I believe, and um, it's uh, it's it's really uh, a beautiful feast because it it opens up for us that the church is apostolic, you know that Jesus didn't just hand the you know hand a Bible over and or just say here's my teaching good luck do your best, you know uh, that they everything that they witnessed the Lord, they taught. And Paul is unique because he was not one of the original 12 apostles, so right. he encountered Jesus after he had risen, you know, so Paul, um, you know, was called to be an apostle after the resurrection, so it was a unique calling uh, for him as well. It's um, the tradition that says uh, Paul's uh, beheaded, Okay. So he's pictured with the sword, mm-hmm. um, and then also uh, Peter crucified, as tradition would say, upside down, um, and so yeah he uh because he didn't want to be crucified in the same form as our lord he felt in great humility he didn't want to die in the same exact way
1: right i had the reading today the who do you say that i am mm-hmm. and then jesus gives the keys uh to peter and on you, Peter, I will build my church. And uh, what you open, nothing, none shall shut. And it's something I don't really think about all that much. But on a day like today, it brings me right back to Isaiah. I think it's chapter twenty-two, uh, and I'm sure you know this very well, very, very well. But as a former Protestant, this is not something that we really thought of very much. But you know, God says to Shebna, who was the prime minister under King Hezekiah, I believe. He had squandered everything and then God says through the prophet Isaiah that he is going to call a a new steward or prime minister. I will give him, and I think his name is Mm Elakim, I will give him the key to the kingdom of David, what he opens, none shall shut, what he shuts, none shall open, and he will be called Father. And how when you see uh, Jesus giving to Peter the keys of the kingdom of God, what Peter will open, none shall shut. It's like Jesus is structuring the church to be like a new Israel, where Christ is going to be the king, and yet he's going to allow Peter to share in his apostolic authority. Um, through the church and how that is such a wonderful apologetic for the papacy. These are things that I never really thought of, but, but the parallel is just absolutely clear between those two passages.
0: Yeah, I, do. That's, um, I think that reading, that set of readings will be on the Feast of Chair St. Peter, I believe, uh, in February, February 22nd. I think those are the readings selected uh, for that feast day. So yeah, that's it's shows that the Lord is the one, Jesus is the one where all
1: authority comes from, right? And everything has. I'm beginning. Maybe I've said this before, but uh, everything has an Old Testament parallel mm -hmm. in the Gospels. You know, Jesus is not fabricating things as as it were. I mean, he is he is invoking his own scriptures that many times i'm fulfilling the scriptures so so even when i read something uh, like last week's uh, text about calling down fire from heaven okay is there an old testament passage you know that was the reading for sunday which is the, the the samaritans would not welcome jesus and the disciples said well can we call down fire from heaven well is there a parallel to that yeah actually there is elijah who tried to call who called down fire from heaven so just for our listeners Everything's got to be rooted in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. I don't think anything about the ministry of Jesus can possibly make sense to us apart from the Old Testament context. Right. Yeah, need to unfold that. And that's great for Catholics to, to really see that. And
0: the church in our liturgical life, we do receive a lot of the Old Testament readings in the Mass, you know, so it's great to know that the church often is selecting those Old Testament readings for a purpose, you know, to sometimes it's not as clear, but other times it's very clear you hear
1: the parallels literally side by side with the gospel. Exactly. Well, let's uh, move on to what I really want us to spend a little bit of time reflecting on and I'm sure our, our, your parishioners would like to hear your thoughts as well. But last Friday, the great solemnity of the Sacred Heart and then the momentous decision from the Supreme Court uh, goes live. When did you first hear about this and what was your reaction to the news that day?
0: Well, I was just uh, actually in the confessional and I had just finished confessions that morning. And uh, my administrative assistant came by, and uh, Lissette Westover, and she showed, showed me her phone image in the church and just showed the justices and, you know, that they had overturned Roe v. Wade that was released. So it was, you know, we are having adoration in the church um, all day, which we do every Friday uh, from uh, the conclusion of morning mass until 4 p.m. So, I mean, it was sort of a, a surreal, what did I do? It was just I knelt down and thanked Jesus right away. We both just, it was like we were right in the church. Jesus was on the altar, you know, and what better way to give thanks just to the Lord right now? And you know, trying to understand, of course, the impact, that, you know, you hear the news and, you know, we, we almost 50 years, the pro-life movement has been praying and fasting and, trying to, you know, uh, sway the nation the, uh, to overturn this, you know. And many times I've gone to the March for Life and many Catholics and Christians and people have gone to the March for Life in Washington and always ends up in the Supreme Court outside praying the rosary, you know, um, praying for the justices, praying for the nation that one day this would happen. And it's it, here we are, you know, almost 50 years later. Uh, so it was... Uh, you know, of course, we'll always remember where we were when we heard that news, you know, so. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, just very joyful internally. Just
1: what a, what a gift, you know. I had just a sense of just elation. And, you know, I immediately thought about, think about the over 50 years, the number of rosaries that have been prayed, mm-hmm. the number of petitions that have been prayed. I mean, just... Reaffirms in the words of the New Testament of Paul in one of his letters that the work we do in the Lord is never in vain. Right. Did, I mean, did you really ever think that this would be overturned in your lifetime, my lifetime? I, I, I don't know if I really believed that that, yeah. would, that would be it's hard. a possibility.
0: Yeah, it was hard to know. Um, I think uh, at times you can think, you know, it just isn't going to happen. You know, it just seems like nothing, gets, you know, we're just not going to get there. Um, and then, just the pro-life movement really is more about. It's not just simply changing laws. We need to, you know, love everyone and love uh, the love of God to change hearts. You change the culture, you know, because the more the culture becomes more in union with Jesus and the gospel of life, and that every human life is sacred, you know, from the womb until uh, until natural death. Um, You know, we don't. Even if we had laws that were promoting abortion, if the people, the more they just stop wanting it or stop, you know, declaring that it's a right, um, the culture will, you know, will be
1: transformed. I think I was just so proud to be Catholic that day, Mm -hmm. and I think that this really is a this is a Catholic movement. There are some evangelical churches that were pro-life, but when I think about pro life even as a former Methodist, it was the, it was the Catholic faith it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the Catholic Church that has always been on the forefront of that and now that I was on the inside now of, of the Catholic Church seeing this momentous decision come down and and thinking about the number of children that will that, that can live right. uh, now yeah. and we're going to get into some myths about what this really was because our work is certainly not done. It just it was really one of my proudest moments.
0: Yes, and it, still, it continues to be, I think, the church will always be joyful um, about this decision, you know, um, to see this unfold in our lifetime. Um, but really, it does, um, it brings with it a lot of responsibility. Um, so, I mean, I don't know when you want
1: to talk about the details of the law or what, or what We'll, we'll or what get happened, into some you know. of that. One of the things you did uh, mention by announcement, and not everybody would have gotten that, but I do want you to comment on this a little bit, is the providential nature of things coming down on that particular day sure. of all days within yep. the year, and its association with what would have been the 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 feast day of the Nativity of John the Baptist. Correct. Talk a little bit about that because I find this to be just you know fascinating. Well, I mean, if you look at really the three stretch of the
0: stretch of three days that we had Saint John the Baptist Nativity on the 23rd, which is always on the 24th, the 4th of June. But why did it move? Because the Sacred Heart of Jesus fell on the 24th this year as providence would have it so you have john the baptist feast first the forerunner of christ friday is the sacred heart christ's fullness of who he is and god is love and the eucharist and the sacred heart we worship him on friday with the and that's when the decision was released when we were liturgically celebrating the feast of the sacred heart um, and then the next day is was the immaculate of mary on saturday and you know we we learned from Fatima that Our Lady was very much saying the triumph, her Sacred Heart would triumph in, in the days and you know the years ahead um, in times of great persecution and trial. But I see this is a triumph of her heart. Mm. I mean, because she's not going to ever point the credit to herself. So why? Well, sure, it's her son that the feast day of the Sacred Heart that it's released. But I was I had told people, you know, that the readings for the the Mass for John the Baptist, Nativity of John the Baptist, are all. Um, scripturally um, profound in the way that they unf- unpack and unfold and reveal to us the dignity of the human life, every human life, right in the womb. And so, just I'm going to just read little quick lines from. So the feast of John the Baptist has two sets of readings: a vigil mass the night before, and then the mass of the day. So in the vigil mass, you have from Prophet Jeremiah, uh, verse or chapter one: uh, "Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you a prophet to the nations." The psalm in Psalm 71, uh, since my mother's womb, you have been my strength. Um, and you, O Lord, I take refuge, let me never be put to shame, right? And then um, on you I depend from birth, from my mother's womb, you are my strength. Um, and then, um, you know, the gospel, you have the reading of uh, Gabriel visiting uh, Zechariah in the temple. And that's Luke 1, 5 through 17. That's a, a unique reading. You don't hear it too much. But this is the visitation uh, of uh, the Gabriel to Zachariah saying, mm-hmm. you know, Elizabeth will bear a child, right? The great miracle of a barren woman uh, bearing John the Baptist, right? So that's, you know, that's the whole gospel is the joyful pregnancy. Right. And a miraculous one and kind of against all plans, right? This is, they would have planned it, wanted a child a long time ago. But it didn't happen, you know. Um, And then on the next day, there's a reading from Isaiah, uh, chapter 49. Um, And um, again, for now the Lord has spoken. He formed me as his servant from the womb. That's in that reading from Isaiah. And then Psalm 139 for the mass of the day is wonderful. I praise you for I am wonderfully made. You know, truly you have formed my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I give you thanks that I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. When I was made in secret, you know, those lines from, I love that, Psalm 139. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, of course, in John, and the gospel for the day is a continuation of John's birth. So you, you get the, the birth narrative in Luke 1, uh, verse 57, and following the naming of John. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll be called John. So I just found it really profound. And even the the preface for the Mass that the priest prays before the Eucharistic prayer for John the Baptist, his birth brought great rejoicing, even in the womb he leapt for joy. Right. I mean, he was the so, first to bear yeah. witness to the Christ. And, we know that, of, and he
1: was un- unborn. Yeah. He was so, in utero at, so, at the time. So the,
0: the, the, the point I was making uh, with the going through all that was to say, And every single year following this year, it will always be June 24th that we celebrate this overturning of Roe v. Wade, this
1: miraculous— Ah, yes, the connection. So
0: that it's always going to be on the Feast of John the Baptist's birth. The Nativity of John the Baptist is the date on the calendar that that was released. So every year after, it'll just be— That's the readings you're going to hear, as we thank God and continue to— renew our commitment to love which is the sisters of life have a lovely statement on their website about their ov wade decision um and they, they they just kept saying we renew our commitment to love yes you know, they, they work with women who are uh might be suffering a crisis pra- crisis and uh, pregnancy situation or but they accompany the mothers they provide them with whatever they need spiritual care um material uh provisions and things like that. So Sisters of Life um, very much founded for the very reason to uh, protect Well, don't you
1: think life. that will become the, the next responsibility, uh, the next part of the mission of, of people of faith, uh, of Christians, is that uh, if, if abortion is going to be um, ended in certain states, because it doesn't really end abortion. We, we can right. get into that. This did right. not end abortion, the, right. the, 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 the terrible event itself. But the there are going to be women who need help, who are going to bring their children to term. Right. Um, so it can't be more than just, okay, so the Supreme Court has done the right, right thing, uh, but now we get to go just celebrate. Now we yeah. have a new shift in our mission. And, and I do think even the bishops have called upon uh, Catholic parishes to really get into the fray now yeah. to help. Uh, women uh, in crisis pregnancies. Yep. And I think, I think I'm trying to understand
0: myself. I'm not intellectually uh, strong in the law uh, world, but the, the decision of Roe v. Wade came about because of a, a case that the Supreme Court heard in December of 2021. That's the, right. Dobbs versus Jackson, mm-hmm. which Jackson being Jackson, uh, Mississippi, a clinic, the only clinic in Mississippi which performs abortions. And so, Dobbs is named after Thomas Dobbs, who was the state um, health um, officer. And the question is, can can the state relegate, regulate abortion uh, to less possibility, like I think think after 15 weeks. 15 weeks weeks was what Mississippi wanted to put in place. And so, the question that the Supreme Court had to deal with was, can a state do that? Can they make that kind of a decision? Which then said we have to look at Roe versus Wade because that makes it that they can't do that. So, can the Const- does the Constitution have anything to say about this? Right, and of course,
1: I think what, well, what Alito has said in his uh, in his decision, in the majority decision, is the Constitution is silent on abortion, mm-hmm. either pro-choice or pro-life, and it was certainly not a deep-rooted liberty that was enjoyed by America since its its founding and through the passage of the Constitution itself. Alito, right at the very beginning of his uh, opinion or his, his, uh, his declaration is that it was a crime it was even considered a crime during the adoption of the Constitution. So no, I mean what the other side would argue is that this is a part of the the deep seated liberty of, of the United of our freedom, the freedom right. of liberty. Mm-hmm. A, the, a woman should not she should have the liberty of either carrying a, a child to term or not, if that is a part of her liberty. And what the other side has argued and rightly is that this Constitution is silent on this. It is it, and it certainly wasn't considered to be a liberty at the time of the documents uh, adoption right. does that make any sense
0: yeah. well I think the other thing too is that there is no declaration that you know the child you know the, this decision the Supreme Court didn't say yes the child is a child in the womb from conception to, you know the, I mean that that language is not there it's basically the states have the um, the authority to make these kind of decisions on relegating or prohibiting abortion at the state level. And for nearly 50 years, the federal level has superseded that. Right. So this is really a state's rights issue now. And know? that's, that's and what was, the
1: Supreme Court, and, and that's what they determined because you know, the Constitution it's, is silent. It's, on it's,
0: it's good because America, yes. this is really what America is meant to be, not an overarching federal, um, overhanded control of all the states and what they do. And uh, so there are some states, then, I think, that
1: are already prohibiting abortion altogether. I I anticipate um, judges trying to stop this. I've heard of one state already, maybe it was Texas, another one, where they... before this 104-year trigger law was put into effect. Now the the, the judiciary has said, no, let's put a halt on that for the time being. So we'll not allow these states necessarily to go ahead and, and ban abortion altogether. But that's what we're seeing in one state. I, I anticipate there's gonna be a lot of right. fury. There is already fury in, in many ways. Sure. And, um, and I anticipate that being the case now.
0: Well, we have to recognize now as citizens of the United States and as Catholics, you know we have got to take the responsibility to vote seriously in the local elections. And you know we have primaries, and you know who pays attention to those is right. typically something we don't pay attention to. Right. And we pay attention to the ballot once it comes up for the presidency. And then you, you know, people usually vote party line or who knows, you know. And by then, the selection of candidates is what it is. You have you had had could have had a say years ago. To who should be selected, right? So I think it gives a great opportunity for Catholics to pay attention to local elections and make sure that the policies and what these candidates stand for, um, you know, do not go against our Lord and His uh, His teaching, you know, His commandments. You know, uh, life is sacred, you know, and um, that's that's the divine law. You know, we can't write that, change that. You know, so we, we we look at policies with people. People are gonna bring policies with them to the office that they're you know, seeking election for and you know, we need to try to be more intent at the state level now to make sure, you know, the governor race comes up, who who are we electing? You know, state All politics is local, yes. You know, so say, And well, Jesus
1: is Lord of that. You know, right. we, we, we we have this this false presumption that well there's this entity called politics and then there's this thing called religion. And you should keep them separate, but we're not dualists. See, Catholics, Orthodox Christianity cannot be dualistic. You can't have the fleshly realm separable from the spiritual realm. Jesus is Lord of all of it. Right. You know the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, according yeah. to Psalm twenty-four. That includes politics. I remember I used to remind uh, folks who say, "Well, you know, you shouldn't. You should leave your politics out of out of Christianity or out of the out of the pulpit or the church." We invoke Pontius Pilate every week in the creed. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, Carl Bard, the the Protestant reformer, says that he just comes into the creed like this mangy dog. You know, we're, we're talking about all these spiritual realities: God the Father, the Son. All of a sudden, crucified under Pontius Pilate. Politics matters even to to the Christian faith, and because um, Jesus is Lord of that, and to say Jesus is Lord was a political statement in the first century as well.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so uh, we we have some we have some of our work to do. I, what I guess what has frustrated me, as in in the in the wake of the pronouncement, is all of the euphemisms people are are using. To, to state their case, they'll say that this was that what the Supreme Court did was it it took away our reproductive rights, or women's health care decisions and i find that to be so frustrating because it's not true it's a euphemism because you can't say what the reality is right. which is you're taking away my right to kill my child right yeah and and as christians we have to be very careful to language and how it can be manipulated right
0: yeah i mean you, it's not you know i mean there was already that movement happening in the language in our country, for some time it seems, that stop using the word abortion to say reproductive health, reproductive care. Right. You know, um, and that you just don't
1: even say the A word. You know, and we start losing because the A it's, word already has built within it right. like yeah. something's wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like suicide. I mean, there's already a connotation of something is is right. intrinsically wrong about that. Right. So we got to pay attention to the language, and
0: people want to shift that language to avoid to kind of you know hide the truth of it all.
1: So you have well, to be careful. My former denomination, the United Methodist Church, it wants to kind of level of both and. You know, well, we, we want to be pro-life, but we also understand circumstances. That frustrated me then. I don't see how you as a Christian can even make that argument because I would say that as, as, as Christians, we believe in the sanctity of, of life because God became one of us We know Genesis says that God created all things and all things were pronounced good. But I would say you could make the argument that our starting place that really affirms the goodness of creation is the incarnation. Mm -hmm. It is God himself who became an embryo. Even if we want to use the language fetus, okay, fine, use that language. God became a fetus in the womb of Mary. And what God became, he has sanctified I just don't see how anybody can make a good theological argument in favor of of abortion from a Christological standpoint.
0: Right. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, um, you know, the understanding of what it means to be a human person is being challenged at at, at the core of all this, I think. You know, what does it mean to be a human person? You know, um, well, we've been created by God. And I'm not to live for myself. I'm to live for him and for others. You know, my life is to be a gift. Right, so you know, in motherhood and in it's, its profound uh, mystery is living for another immediately when you're pregnant. you know your very life is given over to giving life to another. and the good of motherhood it's motherhood's
1: beautiful I, right? and yeah. the good of it, whereas it is so what's the word I'm looking for? It is so minimized and frowned upon. In our society, as though to be a mother is to be burdened by a child. And I remember hearing the arguments uh, last year, and the prosecutor, or the one defending the uh, the pro-abortion uh, side, just kept saying that oh, a woman's liberty; she would have to endure. We don't want her to have to endure bringing a child to, to term. And that, that's just—I mean, that is just not true. Uh, right. Motherhood is this gift.
0: Well, life is a gift, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So I. Th- um, I think that it is now the the a new age is beginning. I think in the pro life movement, it seems like this is going to be. It's going to be. We have to be more intentional about everything. And that, you know, this isn't about the law has changed and it's been overturned. So now our work is done. You know, right. we finally fifty years of prayer. Finally, it's happened, and now we can sit back and and relax a bit. You know, right. it's like well, yeah. totally the opposite. You know, um, we have to become a church, a, commu- a community, a, a culture of you know, well, if a woman is pregnant and has is struggling, who's going to help? Right. She should be able to approach. You. If I can go to any Catholic, and I know they'll help me. Simply supporting them. I mean, I think that's key. You know, just like any child is a gift. We Not to get into how that child came about. You know, the child is a gift. The child is there because God has willed it, and the child's a gift. We rejoice at life.
1: And I would say that uh, we're we're in the state of North Carolina. We we have our work because all the signals indicate that, uh, our, our, our government, our, our state legislature, uh, there, there will probably be, um, some division between them, but abortions will be continuing in our state. Mm-hmm. We, we are not one of the red States, uh, necessarily. We've always been North Carolina has always been a moderate state. So back to your point now we have to pay attention more now than we ever, we ever have. Right. Um, and, 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 and fight for these women, um, gonna need our help mm-hmm. and, yep. and care for them.
0: Well I like the banner we have out that the diocese sent to the schools, you know, it's a love them both. It's a picture of a mother and child, a little little graphic icon there. Um, but yeah, love them both. I mean that's that is what we always must do and
1: and always should do. You know, I read a book by uh, Doctor Carrie Gress. I, I hope I'm not digressing too much here. Carrie Gress, G R E S S, and it's been some time and I think it was the anti-Mary spirit, the age of anti-Mary, mm-hmm. and it had a very interesting premise. She she talks about how you know we we've heard of the Antichrist. It's mentioned in the New Testament, and in some passages, like in Second Thessalonians, you know, Antichrist seems to be more of a person. But there's also other places where Antichrist is more of a spirit. It's like a spirit uh, uh, of the age, an Antichrist spirit, and not necessarily a person. And it occurred to her, she says, well, if there's an antichrist, a spirit of antichrist, could there also be a spirit of anti-Mary? And what does Mary really stand for more than anything else? Well, the feminine, but motherhood and chastity as a virgin. Virginity, yeah. Mm-hmm. Virginity. Mm-hmm. And how both of those are completely De- almost demonized in our culture we are seeing an anti-mother spirit and of course uh to be chased as a woman even as a man but to be chaste as a woman that that too now seems to be a, a scandal uh as well when we have all the debates of, of birth control but a fascinating uh way of looking at it like a spirit of anti-mary and how mm. she represents to us the the, the model of motherhood right. and chastity together
0: yes yeah together and they're fruitful
1: yeah. So, what would you say uh, from on the local level? What would you like to see the people listening to this, uh, the people of, of St. Michael Parish? What should we be thinking about doing or proposing ourselves?
0: Well, I think we need to ask the Holy Spirit what what He wants of us. You know, how can we be involved locally? You know, um, and you know we have local pregnancy centers so how how can we be more supportive i mean we do we do help fundraise for them annually um, but uh, we, we should be thinking more about how we can be involved you know and not just you know reduce that not that it's it's a wonderful public witness the march for life annually is a is a tremendous time for the church to come together and pray and um, it's it's great you know but i think that while that's wonderful when you go home what are you doing the rest of the of the year you know i mean certainly there's um opportunities to pray outside abortion clinics you know Um, we do the life chain that's public witness that we do a few times a year sitting on the side of the road with in silent prayer with uh, signs that that point out the evil abortion but also encourage you know prayer and forgiveness you know and uh, and love and mercy so i mean those are those are what we've been doing i think but um, you know we need to see well what's what what do we do in addition to that um, and how can we be more involved uh, to, help, to help mothers?
1: You know, that's really what, you help the mother, you help the child. Well, the fight has begun. You know, the, you know, the, uh, the, the movement continues just in different ways. Uh, but we are in a new age, and I do believe that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Father, for your time today. Absolutely. And, and thank you all for listening. If you've got any questions that you would like for us to address, please visit our church website at stmccg.org. You'll find my email address there, Father's email address there. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but on behalf of Father Rossi, I, I thank you for listening to this episode of Might. We'll see you next time. God bless. God bless.